Hey everyone, welcome to Rare Bird Radio. This is Karen Stefano, author of the memoir, What a Body Remembers. And with me today is Sue William Silverman, the author most recently of the poetry collection, If the Girl Never Learns. And she's also the author of several memoirs, including the memoir, Because I Remember Terror, Father, I Remember You, and also the craft book, Fearless Confessions, A Writer's Guide to Memoir. And she also teaches in the MFA in Writing Program at Vermont College of Fine Arts. Sue, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks so much for uh, having me on your show. Oh, I'm. it's, it's truly my honor. And at uh, at the top, before we really get into all the questions I have for you, I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Amy Wallen, who uh, who put us together. So, Amy, you're the best. Yes, you are. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so first, I want to talk to you about this stunning collection, If the Girl Never learns. And I want to begin uh, with what's now my favorite question for authors. Um, how, if you're, you're at a cocktail party, and it's a cocktail party with, uh, filled with non-writers, and someone asks you about this book, how do you describe it? I would probably um, talk about, you know, since it would be non-writers, I'd probably more focus on the themes of the book, which uh, would be uh, kind of accessing female power and uh, writing. So the poems, If the Girl Never Learned, uh, this is a um, cohesive collection in that all the poems are about one girl. And she is trying to access her female power and she's a resistor. She's a badass. Um, and if that would probably be my kind of just quick answer, if it seemed like somebody was more interested, then I would <laughs> then I would probably go into how she sort of struggles between being an outsider and a kind of desire to. Uh, be traditional, sort of that hearth and home woman, but ultimately she really turns away from hearth and home, and she does uh, choose to be more rebellious. And but she's also kind of a universal kind of girl slash woman, in that she identifies with mythic figures, you know, such as Valkyries and Sirens, sort of these female figures associated with danger, and the girl in these poems is also sort of out for vengeance and she inhabits kind of these dark aspects of these figures. And probably the last thing I would say that might interest people um, is that this is kind of a poetry collection that sort of slash memoir or sort of a memoir in verse in some ways in that the girl is kind of my alter ego. Now, so that cocktail party conversation with a non-writer, would you explain this collection any differently if you were talking to another writer? Well, it's funny that you asked that. I'm not sure that I act. Um, 
I mean, for writers, I would probably go into more about how um, I kind of morphed sort of from memoirs into this essay collection. And in that the, um, the, the memoirs that I've written are all, you know, very feminist slanted, but writing creative nonfiction, as other writers would know, is not about writing about revenge. I mean, writing memoir is really about self-exploration. And so, but I have different rules when it comes to poetry and that I think in poetry, one can really write about revenge and anger in ways that one can't do as sort of explosively in memoir. Uh, yeah, yeah, agreed. And I, you know, I think explosive is, uh, if I had to blurb this book in one word, um, I would just say explosive. Um, well, uh, thank you. <laughs> because they, because they really are. Um, before we go any further, uh, the, the first poem in this collection is called If the Girl Never Learns to Cook or Sew. And I was wondering if you would be willing to read that one for us. Oh, absolutely. I would love to. And um, I should maybe just say before I read it that this poem, I actually dreamt this entire poem, which I know seems sort of amazing or outrageous, but I did and when I woke up in the morning, I just quickly wrote down all of these images that had come to me in this in this dream, and uh, this this one poem. Because of the dream, I got this poem, and because of this poem, it really jump started this entire collection. So without that, there actually would be no collection at all. That's, yeah, and that's and that's a, a pretty wild story. And I think I've shared with you when we spoke before that. Um, uh, everyone listening to this podcast is going to hate you now. Uh, <laughs> filled with jealousy. Um, I know uh, that my dreams never yield anything productive in terms of writing. So, well, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is very rare. So, you know, but it's sort of like it's one of those gifts from the universe. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, yes, I would be happy to. And so the poem is called If the Girl Never Learns to Cook or Sew. And that is also the first line of the poem. So, if the girl never learns to cook or sew, then the scent of chlorine seeps beneath the glass doors into winter. If dinners simmer on the stove into summer, spring, fall. If the stuffed cat remains by the door across from the ivory-tipped walking sticks, if the extravagant bric-a-brac Santas push you back out the door, if the family man's promises, promises, promises go up in the pungent smoke of goodbye, this girl who slouches on her chair, her single piece of real estate not allowed to touch couch or dining room table, if waves break like vows across the dunes, foam at midnight, and as faithless 
If the words the girl sighs aren't stitched intricately as patchwork, hanging on the line to dry, if this girl, woman, in mismatched socks, hair refusing to shrink into tight gray curls, if he says no and yes on the same day, and you drive black asphalt straight ahead while glancing in the rearview mirror, if he's so clever saying yes and no, all that remains in your unspoken throat is maybe. If he laughs and offers one of his canes, you know damn well you're walking alone and forever. If the yeses and nos don't equal maybe, but total zero. If you're each heading in opposite directions while stars float away and sun shatters the sky. If that's all you're getting, girl, then you're just this side of running on empty. Not to know this, but lost enough to understand that. If you turn your head at just the right or wrong moment, but definitely the wrong angle, and smudge red on his green-shirted heart. If you worry it'll be misunderstood, don't, because who can see secret signs you breathe tracing his house? If you know the answer to the question, or the key to open answers to questions not yet asked, but you don't, except you do. So that's the poem. Uh, um, yeah, it, Sue, it's it's interesting. Um, I uh, I believe that so many women will be drawn into these poems and will identify with them. They'll see themselves, and I know I did. And then uh, I read them all slowly, carefully, but just hearing you read that initial poem literally just gave me goosebumps oh thank you yeah uh, I think men should read this collection but uh, I also believe that uh, rightly or wrongly uh, that women will identify with these poems most directly what's your plan to promote this collection to get it in the hands of all the women who need to read these well, it is kind of difficult to promote poetry. Um, you know, the publishers don't have much of a marketing budget. But, you know, basically I'm doing the kind of the traditional readings in bookstores, things like that, and then trying to um, get on, you know, something like this, uh, podcast, radio shows that are hosted by women. I've done a few of those. And I just got a really uh, good uh book review in the Bellingham Review nice. out of Bellingham, Washington, which um, the editor there um, is a woman, of course. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what's interesting, though, uh, the Bellingham Review had published uh, both that poem that I just read and a couple of others before the, the whole collection came together. So they were already invested in the poetry. So that just came out about a week or so ago. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that kind of dovetails into my next question. 
what did you learn about yourself in writing these poems, both individually and then in curating them into a collection? That's a really good question in that, because um, I think, obviously, when we write memoir, we learn a lot about ourselves. But uh, what I learned from writing this poetry, but I also learned about myself writing this poetry collection. And one thing for sure is that after writing three rather feminist memoirs, I what I learned is that I still had this untapped reservoir of anger and rebellion. Uh-huh that needed to be expressed on the page. And I was able to just go very deeply into that. You know, our culture is still incredibly misogynistic, which, you know, is not a you know big news flash. Clearly it is. And uh, women are still being silenced. Our stories still are not being believed. And, um, so the girl in these poems, who, as I say, is sort of an alter ego for me, not sort of, she is an alter ego for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just had a lot of rage, anger, rebellion um, that I just needed to write about in metaphors that I didn't already use in the memoir. So there's sort of a whole new kind of set of metaphors that I discovered that really do speak to me and hopefully to other women as well. Uh, uh, Yeah, uh, absolutely. And one of the interesting issues that, you know, if I may say you, you assault in some of these poems is the concept of good girlness or good girldom. And I personally think that good girl syndrome is one of the most dangerous things done to us as girls, as, as women. Um, yes. That, that we might do unwittingly to our own daughters. Um, and, you know, my question for you is how do you think we, as a society, break out of that? I think it's getting better, but we still have a long way to go. Well, we do have a long way to go. And with this current administration, I feel in many ways we've been, you know, set backwards. Well, I think it's sort of both. I mean, certainly there's this whole movement against women now. But, you know, flying in the face of that is that, you know, with the Women's March and things like that, it's also sort of galvanized women. So it's hard to say where it all shake out. But the media is not as good as I think it should be. I mean, with when you look at women who are running for president and they're being judged by totally different standards than uh, men who are running for president. And, you know, women aren't, quote, allowed to have anger. If they show anger, then, you know, then how could they be a good president? I mean, it's just the stereotypes that are still around are kind of breathtaking. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And the only way to try to counteract that is, is for women to keep, however you do it, whether you're a writer and you keep writing, whether you're a professional speaker and you, and you keep speaking out. If it's just in a small group of women, um, if you're in the media, I mean, women in the media have really got to, you know, help, the rest of us, I mean, they really have a voice that's very um, loud 
and can reach a lot of people. So it's just, we can't give up. I mean, we just have to keep uniting uh, women of all, you know, socioeconomic levels, all races, religions. We just have to unite as one because, boy, there'd be no stopping us if, if all women could really seriously unite. Uh, damn straight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, you know, again, you're, uh, if I may be so bold, uh, again to use the word assault in these poems. Uh, some of these poems on good girl dumb uh, reminded me of something that I touched on late in my memoir, where I address all of the bullshit we are fed. As women, you have to look sexy and be right. sexy, but not not too sexy, though. So right, because be then you're slut, a slaughter or a whore. Right. right, right. And it's, you know, and, you know, you have to give a fantastic blowjob and you have to get into the best <laughs> schools and you have to accept that you're always going to be paid less than a man. And right. I just and it's it's relevant. It's germane to my story, but it's just this sort of couple paragraph rant and right. um, so, good. <laughs> yeah <laughs> rants are necessary sometimes uh, but uh, I want to ask you kind of a transitional question you've written several memoirs uh, one of which I want to talk to you about directly but before I do so I want to ask you how how was it that you moved from writing memoir into poetry? And I know you, you've said uh, that you had this untapped anger and that the anger can be put on the page more effectively through poems than in, in memoir. And so, so I know that's part of it, but, Tell me, tell me more about that that transition. Well, I think that it's. Um, I mean, certainly one can have anger in memoir. I mean, there's no question about that. But it. But I um, found that with the poetry, that the new metaphors that I was discovering could go to places that are kind of mythical and um, not as sort of on the nose in a way that I could just really push the boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I was just in this place where, um, and where I just sort of had to really find a way to access it. It's like these poems. Once I dreamt that first one, these poems just, fell out of me. I mean, I wrote the collection. I don't remember exactly how long, but it wasn't, it didn't take very long. It did not take nearly as long as it's taken me to write memoirs, mm -hmm. but it just, um, they were just pushing at me. And so in some ways it's sort of mysterious in that I don't know. It's just that creativity and that creative process that I can't, not sure I can exactly say where they came from, but just clearly that, um, just looking around at, at my own life, at the universe, and how women are still treated, that I just had this compulsion, obsession, whereby these poems just had to find a voice. And or this girl in the poems, my alter ego, just had to be very clear and very loud and not 
worry about this idea of self-exploration that we needed memoir, not worry about how people would maybe judge me as much as, because I think that when we write memoir, it's a lot of people identify, think that the narrator in a memoir is just us as people. And it, that's sort of yes and no. I mean, we, we're, it's, it's, we're writing about ourselves, but, but we are, we are an artistic, uh, uh, form of us. And, but a lot of people sort of don't get that. And so in poetry, I just, in this book, I just felt I could pull out all the stops and just yeah. go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and a beautiful, uh, in a beautiful, powerful way. So one of your memoirs is because I remember terror, father, I remember you. And in this memoir, you write about severe trauma. And uh, one of the blurbs, uh, I just, I'm editing this, but it describes it as a harrowing memoir of incest and survival. And I want to ask you, how did it feel emotionally to write this book? It felt empowering, actually, in many ways, because, you know, yes, my father sexually molested me growing up, and it took me years and years to um, uh, speak the word incest and, and and say that, you know, my father had molested me. I mean, I'd gone through like 10 therapists before I could even tell one therapist what had happened. Um, wow. And then to be able to actually, and, you know, because I'm a writer anyway, this was sort of one of, one of my stories, and then be able to get those words on the page and kind of break that silence and speak truth. I mean, basically my whole childhood, I was living a double life. I was living a life of lies because I couldn't, I never told anybody what was going on. And so to be able to see my truth and my voice on the page was very empowering. But, but while you were writing it, you must have been triggered. And, and I, I mean, I'm making that assumption because that was definitely my experience in writing my book. And, and if you weren't triggered, tell me. Um, and, but I'd be surprised if you weren't. And so my question is, how did you manage that? How did you manage mm-hmm. the triggers? Right. Now, that's a very good question. I was triggered at times, not for the whole book, though, because in many ways I was trying. I was turning my life into a work of art. And so that kind of organization that you need that um, way of kind of discovering your metaphors and making sense of things was also um, it brought me inside the experience for sure in a very emotional way but some of it was triggering and some of it really wasn't but the way I was able to get through the times when I was and is that is by telling myself that, okay, I already survived what had happened to me as a child. 
I'm an adult woman now. I'm a writer. And by trying to stay focused on that, knowing that, okay, I've already survived this. And now it's my turn to tell my story. And so that's where the empowerment came in, when I would find myself sort of sliding into that trigger area, is to kind of just get up and walk away for a little while Mm -hmm. and just remember that I'm not that little girl anymore. I'm not that, that happened to me and I'm now have the opportunity to explore it and uh, discover what it meant to me and that my father could not hurt me anymore. You know, so, and, and in fact, in reality, he was even dead by the time what, by the time I wrote the book, but sort of whether he was dead or not is just that it was part of sort of finding that my power. Um, And so it kind of goes back and forth between, yeah, being triggered, but then having this amazing opportunity and to feel, I mean, I feel so lucky that I'm a writer, that I have this voice and that I can, and that I can set my stories on paper So it's sort of like going back and forth between the two. But ultimately knowing, though, that I had to write it. I mean, that even if I was triggered or even when I was triggered, that there was no going back, that I was committed to this project, that I had to write it. Yeah, it's it's your your answer to that question is interesting. I just uh, wrote a piece for Writer's Digest. It hasn't come out yet, but, uh, you know, obviously it's. It's Writer's Digest. It's uh, the readers are writers. And it the piece was about how do you write about trauma? And yeah. you and one thing that I address is something that you just said is that you're putting it's not just your story. You're not journaling. Journaling. Right. Um, it's right. You're you're turning your trauma. You're turning your story into art. And that's exactly that's what you have to have to remember. Um, which is easier, easier said than done. Well, um, yes, for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, it, you know, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, have you ever listened to the podcast? Uh, it's called the mental illness happy hour. No, actually I haven't, but it oh, sounds it's, fascinating. It's the bomb. You have, uh, um, someone told me about it and, uh, I listen to it every, every week. It's hosted by a guy, I think he's, he's a comedian and he suffers from depression and, uh, and I think he still does stand up uh, comedy, but he had a guest on his show a couple of weeks ago named Jordan Reed, who describes herself as a recovering actress. And she talked about, and she has a book. Uh, it's like a, not a coloring book, but an activity book uh, for people with anxiety. And so she was on the podcast kind of promoting that. And she talked about, and I'm going to bungle the quote, but she talks about the power that comes from recapturing your own narrative, especially when that is a story that involves trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, uh, uh, you know, that just, that, quote you know is dovetails with you so uh you might want to you might want to check that out i think you'd enjoy uh, the podcast in general and then uh especially the the episode with her right but but, um uh we are 
about to run out of time here. Um, and so in closing, Sue, I would like you, if you don't mind, um, to tell me, to tell everyone listening, what advice would you give to someone who's listening, who's preparing to or attempting to write about trauma? I think the maybe the best advice I can give somebody is when you're actually in the writing process is to not think about the outside world. I mean, to not think, what would my mother say? What would my father think? What would the neighbors think? What would what are reviewers going to think? Anybody. Just don't worry about how your story is going to be perceived by the outside world. Because, I mean, and that includes friends, family, and strangers, because that's way too much pressure on yourself. When you're writing, the best advice is to stay in that moment, stay in the world of your language, your story, and just focus on that. Because um, that's where the real spirituality of all this lies anyway, is just that grace of having that time and that ability to write and, you know, to have your your words are so powerful, your story is really powerful, and it's just such an important, I mean, that's the whole, that's really it. I mean, what happens after the after you finish the book, that's so secondary. The most important thing is to get the words down on paper. Once they are, you can decide you don't even want to publish it. You know, I mean, you have lots of choices after you finish writing. But the most important thing is to get your words down on paper and do not think at all about the outside world. Just stay true to your story. Tell a story you want to tell. Don't second guess, oh, should I put this in? Should I, well, will I hurt somebody's feelings if I put this in? Don't worry about that. Just write. Excellent, excellent advice. (laughs) Um, So uh, everyone, again, This is Sue Williams Silverman and her latest collection of poetry because she has had an, uh, she did uh, publish a first poetry collection, uh, Hieroglyphics in Neon. Um, But her latest collection is If the Girl Never Learns. uh, Again, uh, my blurb, uh, my uninvited blurb, Explosive. Uh, get yourself a copy and blow your mind. And Sue, uh, just before we sign off, uh, where can where can people get this collection? Yes, it's available on Amazon.com um, and at all any bookstore. If they don't have it, they can order it for you. So it's available online. The publisher is Brick Mantle Books. It's also available through the publisher. So it's, you know, it's, it's not that hard to find. Just if a store doesn't have it, they'll order it. Or, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble online has copies available. Okay. Um, Sue, thank you. Um, like the girl in these poems, which is you, uh, you're a total <laughs> badass. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.